Hello, funny people. Thanks for joining me here today on Four Cents a Podcast. We're going to have some fun because I've got something to moan about. Stay tuned. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Just when you all thought it was safe to put your earbuds back in and listen to another podcast. That's right. I'm back, mofos. This is Ian Martinez-Kasmeyer, the voice and host of Four Cents of Podcast. I'm here for a special occasion. As I said uh, several weeks ago when uh, the first official season of Four Cents of Podcast concluded, uh that was that was that at least for the rest of the year but i never said that uh, that would be it completely and a very good friend of mine actually suggested that i might consider doing a special run of episodes for seasonal purposes you know it's sort of like how your favorite television show does a holiday special even though it may be pretty late in the season. Sort of like what Doctor Who does. Doctor Who, they, you know, they have their run of shows, you know, their 13 or whatever episodes, whatever, however long the seasons are these days. And then they do a Christmas special. Well, it's not Christmas time just yet. In fact, uh, we're still about uh, a month away from that. Although, there, there may indeed be a Christmas special uh, this year. Instead, I decided I was going to plague you with something a little bit different. In this case, a Halloween special. Um, On this show, on several occasions, I've done readings through the episode that I frequently call the Reader's Corner, uh, where I read you a little bit of something, or if it's particularly short, several little bits of something, or if it's a short story, the entirety of something. So I thought, since I've kind of set that precedent, I would do a variation on that for this particular holiday special. And so I decided that for this special Halloween mini-series here on Four Cents of Podcast that I would read you the entirety of a book. Obviously not in one episode because I'm not that crazy. Uh, Besides, you all have stuff to do with your lives. So instead what I decided to do is that uh, on the date that this episode will air, which will be October the 25th, Sunday, October the 25th, every single day, starting that Sunday, October the 25th, running to the Saturday, which will be Halloween itself, All Hallows' Eve itself, I will post a brand new episode of Four Cents a Podcast as a part of this special Halloween mini-series. And in each of those episodes, I will read you a section of a much longer work. And I will read it to you in its entirety over the course of those five days. All you have to do is tune in, starting today, the day that this episode airs, October the 25th, every single day this week, leading up to every every kid's favorite candy-filled holiday. Now, when I decided to do this, I was faced ever so slightly with a problem. What was I going to read to you? 
Um, I could have gone with a good old standby, like one of Ray Bradbury's two kind of scary Halloween-centric books, like The Halloween Tree or Something Wicked This Way Comes. I could have read you a Stephen King book or a Stephen King novella, but, you know, a lot of Stephen King's books are pretty long, and I'm not entirely sure I could read you the entirety of those uh, in just under a week. So instead, I decided to go with something a little bit shorter, a little bit manageable, and something that I could break up over the course of seven whole days, and therefore seven episodes. So with that in mind, um, I finally decided that what I was going to read to you would be the entirety of a book by one of my favorite authors who I didn't feature in the Reader's Corner during this last season of Four Sets of Podcasts. The author in question is Neil Gaiman, and the book in question is none other than his wonderful novella, Coraline. I figure what works better than a creepy little novella that was written, you know, years and years ago, uh, and subsequently was made into a wonderful movie by Henry Selick. Maybe after the end of this, you all will actually go and watch that movie, or pick up a copy of Coraline. Um, either an ebook or the audiobook version, the real audiobook version, not this thing that I'm doing for you, uh, or the physical book. And I urge you, if you're going to buy the book physically, I urge you to buy it at your local indie bookstore. Uh, in times like these, we owe it to our local businesses to try and keep our business this is going in our respective towns. So if you can help it, don't buy it from Amazon. That's all I'm saying. Um, so what can I tell you about this? And I, what can I tell you about this book? Well, I can tell you this. When Neil set out to write this book, from what I understand from the many interviews that I've uh, seen of him discussing the writing of this book, he actually wrote it originally for one of his two daughters. I believe the older of his two daughters, in fact. And he was trying to write this book because he wanted to write a book for young girls, essentially. And so he basically started it, as Neil does every single one of his books, by writing just 50 words every given setting. Um, and as a matter of fact, just to give you even more context on this, Neil actually began writing this book while he was in the midst of writing another famous novel of his, American Gods, which, if you've ever seen it, is basically a brick made out of paper. And it, it was such a voluminous task for his particular process, which is to write in fountain pen by hand in notebooks. And American Gods was proving to be a bit of a behemoth for him. And so every so often he would break off from writing American Gods to write just 50 words of Coraline. And in a recent interview that he gave just before the pandemic hit, actually last year before the pandemic hit, uh, he talked how uh, instead of going to bed each night and reading, or reading before he went to bed each night, he would just write 50 words of Coraline each night in lieu of reading. And then one day, he was going on a trip, uh, a cruise of some kind, and he forgot to pack American Gods, or the notebooks that he was composing American Gods in. Uh, he, he just forgot. It happens, you know. You have a brain fart, 
and you forget to pack something that you know is important and you don't realize how important it is until you realize it's missing. But he did have the notebook in which he was writing Coraline. And so on the course of this cruise, even though nobody was expecting this book, nobody was waiting for this book, this book was not yet contracted to a publisher, he went ahead and finished Coraline. And even though he figured that the book was unpublishable, as a matter of fact, he he shopped the first few chapters around to a few publishers, apparently, who all told him that it was completely unpublishable. Why would anybody want to write a scary, read a scary book like this? And then it just so happened that uh, a little book series that is by a much maligned author involving a boy wizard with a lightning bolt shaped scar completely changed the face of 21st century children's literature. And all of a sudden, publishers were actually rather receptive to the idea of uh, a scary book for kids. Uh, because if you've ever read uh, the book series to which I am referring but not naming by name because I don't need any more crap than I already have in my life, uh, you will know that those books are full of a lot of dark elements. And if you know Coraline, you know that it's full of a lot of dark things. Uh, you, <laughs> the chief among them, of course, being that children who end up in the world of the other mother end up getting their eyes gouged out with and replaced with buttons. <laughs> I'm only laughing because it's so creepy and the other option is to cry. Anyway, apparently Neil finished uh, Coraline in due course and he was still having a hell of a time finishing American Gods, so much so that he eventually handed Coraline to his adult editor. He didn't have a children's book editor, apparently, at the time. And uh, he said, here's a book that you can publish while we wait for American Gods. And his publishers were like, oh yeah, that's great, but we'll wait for American Gods. Which is why American Gods was then followed up by Coraline, if you've ever looked at the uh, dates on his bibliography before. That's that's why those two come one after another. It's because they were written in roughly the same period. And as I said, um, this book was then subsequently adapted into a wonderful film by the excellent animator Henry Selleck. Now Henry Selleck, I don't think he's nearly as well known, at least by name, but you know his work because this is the guy who animated both The Nightmare Before Christmas by Tim Burton, a perennial classic, one of my favorite movies, as well as A Corpse Bride by Tim Burton. He's the guy who made all those figures in those movies move. And just to show you his genius, those two movies are beloved by everybody who loves everything that's sort of got that aesthetic to it. And if you watch Coraline, it's got a very similar aesthetic, a different color palette. You know, it's much more brightly colored and uh, sort of gregarious uh, in, in that sense. You know, it's in springtime colors practically. But it's still got that edge to it, that little shade of darkness that is very typical of Henry Selleck's animation style, which is brilliant. Plus the voice cast and so forth. But the, but, and actually, believe it or not, I had, that movie came out at such a time that I had never read Coraline beforehand. I'd never read it, but I did see the movie, and so I thought, you know what, 
this movie is really good. I wonder what the original source material is like, because that frequently happens to me with with the um, with movie adaptations. I see the movie adaptation, then I see that it's based on a book or based on some other property, and then I'm thinking, well, I thought this was good. Why don't I go see how, you know, whether or not the the original source material is any good? And very frequently, the source material is superior in one degree or another. And I think people who love the movie Coraline and love the book Coraline will will note that that's the case, that there are some things that Neil does better than Henry, and there's some things that Henry does better than Neil, but it's the same story, just told through a different vision and a different medium, because that's the great thing about adaptations, is that they never ruin the original source material. They may try, but they never do. Uh, (laughs) But I, I don't think Henry ruined the source material. Uh, when he adapted Neil's book. I think he actually did a wonderful job telling his version of this same story. But that being said, um, I'm going to turn you over to the first chapter of Neil Gaiman's Coraline. And uh, I will conclude briefly by explaining how the rest of this miniseries is going to go. Coraline, for those of you who've actually never read the book, First of all, you're in for a treat. Second of all, um, it has exactly 13 chapters, which makes it apt to read over the course of a week, because um, you can basically do two chapters a day. That be- and it's also apt, considering that we're doing this for Halloween. You know, 13, Halloween, ha ha ha. <laughs> but because it's broken up into 13 chapters, and I wanted to kind of have an even number of sentences per episode, uh, that's what this long rambling opening monologue is for. Now, I promise you that this will not occur any other episode uh, during the course of this. I, I may do a very brief little mini intro to kind of catch people up to speed if they're not, if they haven't listened to the previous episode. And by the way, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, why the hell are you listening to this episode? I don't know. Anyway, um, so this is the only long play monologue that you'll hear from me, but I will do little intros to each of the next ones. Um, You know, basically in lieu of having a 14th chapter that I could start off with. So anyway, here it is, ladies and gentlemen, the Four Cents Podcast, Halloween special edition of Neil Gaiman's Coraline. Neil Gaiman. Chapter 1. Coraline discovered the door a little while after they moved into the house. It was a very old house. It had an attic under the roof, and a cellar under the ground, and an overgrown garden with huge old trees in it. Coraline's family didn't own all of the house. It was too big for that. Instead, They owned part of it. There were other people who lived in the old house. Miss Spink and Miss Forcible lived in the flat below Coraline's, on the ground floor. They were both old and round, and they lived in their flat with a number of aging Highland Terriers, 
who had names like Hamish and Andrew and Jock. Once upon a time, Miss Spink and Miss Forcible had been actresses, as Miss Spink told Coraline the first time she met her. You see, Caroline, Miss Spink said, getting Coraline's name wrong, both myself and Miss Forcible were famous actresses in our time. We trod the boards, lovey. Oh, don't let Hamish eat the fruitcake or he'll be up all night with his tummy. It's Coraline, not Caroline, Coraline, said Coraline. In the flat above Coraline's, under the roof, was a crazy old man with a big mustache. He told Coraline that he was training a mouse circus. He wouldn't let anyone see it. One day, little Caroline, when they are all ready, everyone in the whole world will see the wonders of my mouse circus. You ask me why you cannot see it now? Is that what you ask me? No, said Coraline quietly. I ask you not to call me Caroline, it's Coraline. The reason you cannot see the mouse circus, said the man upstairs, is that the mice are not yet ready and rehearsed. Also, they refuse to play the songs I have written for them. All the songs I have written for the mice go oompa, oompa. But the white mice will only play toodle oodle like that. I am thinking of trying them on different types of cheese. Coraline didn't think there really was a mouse circus. She thought the old man was probably making it up. The day after they moved in, Coraline went exploring. She explored the garden. It was a big garden. At the very back was an old tennis court, but no one in the house played tennis, and the fence around the court had holes in it, and the net had mostly rotted away. There was an old rose garden filled with stunted, fly-born rose bushes. There was a rockery that was all rocks. There was a fairy ring made of squidgy brown toadstools which smelled dreadful if you accidentally trod on them. There was also a well. On the first day Coraline's family moved in, Miss Spink and Miss Forcible made a point of telling Coraline how dangerous the well was, and they warned her to be sure she kept away from it. So Coraline set off to explore for it, so that she knew where it was to keep away from it properly. She found it on the third day, in an overgrown meadow beside the tennis court behind a clump of trees, a low brick circle almost hidden in the high grass. The well had been covered up by wooden boards to stop anyone from falling in. There was a small knothole in one of the boards, and Coraline spent an afternoon dropping pebbles and acorns through the hole and waiting and counting until she heard the plop as they hit the water far below. Coraline also explored for animals. She found a hedgehog and a snakeskin, but no snake, and a rock that looked just like a frog, and a toad that looked just like a rock. There was also a haughty black cat who sat on walls and tree stumps and watched her, but slipped away if she ever went over to try to play with it. That was how she spent her first two weeks in the house, exploring the garden and the grounds. Her mother made her come back inside for dinner and for lunch and Coraline had to make sure she dressed up warm before she went out, 
for it was a very cold summer that year. But go out she did, exploring every day until it rained, when Coraline had to stay inside. What should I do? asked Coraline. Read a book, said her mother, watch a video, play with your toys, go and pester Miss Spink or Miss Forcible or the crazy old man upstairs. No, said Coraline, I don't want to do those things, I want to explore. I don't really mind what you do, said Coraline's mother, as long as you don't make a mess. Coraline went over to the window and watched the rain come down. It wasn't the kind of rain you could go out in, it was the other kind, the kind that threw itself down from the sky and splashed where it landed. It was rain that meant busy business, and currently its business was turning the garden into a muddy, wet soup. Coraline had watched all the videos, she was bored with her toys, and she'd read all her books. She turned on the television. She went from channel to channel to channel, but there was nothing but men in suits talking about the stock market and talk shows. Eventually, she found something to watch. It was the last half of a natural history program about something called protective coloration. She watched animals, birds, and insects which disguised themselves as leaves or twigs or other animals to escape from things that could hurt them. She enjoyed it, but it ended too soon and was followed by a program about a cake factory. It was time to talk to her father. Coraline's father was home. Both of her parents worked doing things on computers, which meant that they were home a lot of the time. Each of them had their own study. Hello, Coraline, he said when she came in without turning around. Hmm, said Coraline. It's raining. Yep, said her father. It's bucketing down. No, said Coraline. It's just raining. Can I go outside? What does your mother say? She says you're not going out in weather like that, Coraline Jones. Then, no. But I want to carry on exploring. Then explore the flat, suggested her father. Look, here's a piece of paper and a pen. Count all the doors and windows. List everything blue. Mount an expedition to discover the hot water tank. And leave me alone to work. Can I go into the drawing room? The drawing room was where the Joneses kept the expensive and uncomfortable furniture Coraline's grandmother had left them when she died. Coraline wasn't allowed in there. Nobody went in there. It was only for best. If you don't make a mess and you don't touch anything. Coraline considered this carefully. Then she took the paper and pen and went off exploring the inside of the flat. She discovered the hot water tank. It was in a cupboard in the kitchen. She counted everything blue, 153. She counted the windows, 21. She counted the doors, 14. Of the doors that she found, 13 opened and closed. The other, the big carved brown wooden door at the far corner of the drawing room, was locked. She said to her mother, where does that door go? Nowhere, dear. It has to go somewhere. Her mother shook her head. Look, she told Coraline. She reached up and took a string of keys from the top of the kitchen doorframe. 
She sorted through them carefully and selected the oldest, biggest, blackest, rustiest key. They went into the drawing room. She unlocked the door with the key. The key, the door swung open. Her mother was right. The door didn't go anywhere. It opened onto a brick wall. When this place was just one house, said Coraline's mother, that door went somewhere. When they turned the house into flats, they simply bricked it up. The other side is the empty flat on the other side of the house, the one that's still for sale. She sought the door and put the string of keys back on top of the kitchen door frame. You didn't lock it, said Coraline. Her mother shrugged. Why should I lock it? She asked. It doesn't go anywhere. Coraline didn't say anything. It was nearly dark outside now, and the rain was still coming down, pattering against the windows and blurring the lights of the cars in the street outside. Coraline's father stopped working and made them all dinner. Coraline was disgusted. Daddy, she said, you've made a recipe again. It's leek and potato stew with a tarragon garnish and melted Gruyere cheese, he admitted. Coraline sighed. Then she went to the freezer and got out some microwave chips and a microwave mini pizza. You know I don't like recipes, she told her father, while her dinner went around and around and the little red numbers on the microwave counted down to zero. If you tried it, maybe you'd like it, said Coraline's father, but she shook her head. That night, Coraline lay awake in her bed. The rain had stopped, and she was almost asleep when something went She sat up in bed. Something went Coraline got out of bed and looked down the hall, but saw nothing strange. She walked down the door down the hall. From her parents' bedroom came a low snoring that was her father, and an occasional sleeping mother. Mutter, that was her mother. Coraline wondered if she'd dreamed it, whatever it was. Something moved. It was little more than a shadow, and it scuttled down the darkened hall fast, like a little patch of night. She hoped it wasn't a spider. Spiders made Coraline intensely uncomfortable. The black shape went into the drawing room, and Coraline followed it a little nervously. The room was dark. The only light came from the hall, and Coraline, who was standing in the doorway, cast a huge and distorted shadow onto the drawing room carpet. She looked like a thin, giant woman. Coraline was just wondering whether or not she ought to turn on the lights when she saw the black shape edge slowly out from beneath the sofa. It paused, and then it dashed silently across the carpet toward the farthest corner of the room. There was no furniture in that corner of the room. Coraline turned on the light. There was nothing in the corner, nothing but the old door that opened onto the brick wall. She was sure that her mother had shut the door, but now it was ever so slightly open, just a crack. Coraline went over to it and looked in. There was nothing there, just a wall built of bricks. Coraline closed the old wooden door, turned out the light, and went to bed. 
She dreamed of black shapes that slid from place to place, avoiding the light until they were all gathered together under the moon. Little black shapes with little red eyes and sharp yellow teeth. They started to sing. We are small, but we are many. We are many, we are small. We are here before you rose. We will be here when you fall. Their voices were high and whispering and slightly whiny. They made Coraline feel uncomfortable. Then Coraline dreamed a few commercials, and after that, she dreamed of nothing at all. Hey, funny people. That's it from me here on Four Cents a Podcast. I really do hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me here again next time. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and do try to remember to enjoy yourselves. Thank you.